Hi there, welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. Today, our guest is the founder of Surfboard, Natasha Ritanchi Stein. Surfboard is a team planning tool for customer service teams at scale. Natasha began her career in Goldman Sachs. She was head of revenue for Bulb, and in 2018, she appeared on a Forbes 30 under 30 list for finance. I caught up with Natasha recently at Sastock in Dublin, Ireland, where she was a speaker. We chat about how Natasha went about founding Surfboard, identifying the crux of the problem, the challenges involved, and lessons learned. Natasha also shares her insights into scaling, customer support, and success teams. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Really excited to be here and really excited to be doing the show in person. Yeah, I know. This is, like I was saying, this is only the second time, I think, since I joined Intercom that I've done a podcast in person. So it's it's nice to be back out there. It really is. It's (laughs) great to be at SaaS Talk as well, because you're meeting so many like-minded companies, SaaS companies that are scaling, SaaS companies that are starting to think of support, and that intersection of where companies like Intercom and companies like Surfboard come in. Totally. So I suppose we always start like just by kind of asking people, for a little bit of background and kind of career trajectory, where you started out. Yeah, sure. So I'm Canadian originally for anyone that's curious about the <laughs> accent. I've lived in London for 13 years. I moved there initially for university and then I started working at Goldman Sachs and their mergers and acquisitions team. I spent a few years there and then went to a venture capital fund where I spent five years investing in online businesses with network effects. I had this urge to become an operator. And so I joined a company called Bulb in the renewable energy space. And that's where I encountered the problem and the difficulties of scaling a support team, went through all the administrative overhead of building internal cobbled together processes to enable that scale, and ultimately culminated in me realizing that there weren't tools out there that created a frictionless experience. And so started Surfboard. So what was it, you know, what, what was that moment when you kind of discovered the problem or the problem, you know, kind of presented itself? Yeah, there were two moments. Number one was when I had was when I had to physically create the capacity model spreadsheets, looking at you know our ticket volumes, how many people we needed, who was able to work on what, when they were available. There was this critical moment for us at Bulb when we wanted to move towards shift model. So instead of being open Monday to Friday and nine to six, we decided that we wanted to be open extended hours. And so that threw a huge spanner in the works around planning complexity, making sure things were fair, making sure things were evenly distributed, making sure that we were there when our customers needed us. And so these spreadsheets just became unfathomable. And then I was tasked with, you know, running an RFP process to find software to solve this problem. And there was just a disconnect between how support teams want to work, how support teams want to make sure that their team has visibility, that their team's working in this cohesive way, but then the software out there really turning it into this burn and churn style support model, which we felt really culturally aligned with, but really understanding the need for making sure that you have scheduling in the right place and doing the right things for your organization was so critical for us that we didn't have a choice but to go for one of these alternative providers. And so it was those two separate points, number one, creating the spreadsheets, number two, procuring software, where I realized this market is broken. It's a critical function. It's a critical task within the function. And so somebody's just got to build something that is simpler, smarter, and fairer. And that's where Surfboard came in. And like, how easy or challenging is that decision in the first place, you know, to actually decide to do something about it? Yeah, very difficult. I think any founder is bundled with so much imposter syndrome that anytime I thought about it, anytime I thought about the problem, I had this sense of how 
arrogant am I that there's 7 billion people in the world and somehow I think I'm the person that is equipped, equipped to solve this. And then as you get more around the depth of owning the problem and realizing all these points of friction and you become quite obsessed over time, it becomes a singular thing you think about. And once it becomes the singular thing you think about, you don't have a choice but to leap in. So yeah, it was definitely a difficult decision, but it just became more and more obvious and it just felt more and more right. And, you know, as a founder, there's good days, there's bad, but you realize even on the bad days, there's nothing else you'd rather be doing. That, that's, you know, that's what you want to hear. Was there much kind of mulling over the solving the crooks of the problem, you know, like after that, was it, was there a lot more to do? For sure. I think one point of differentiation in how we built the surfboard team is it's become really design-led. And so for any group of engineers, we have a dedicated designer that works with them. And that's focusing on user research, that's focusing on UX, that's focusing on UI, that's focusing on fundamental product design. And so every time we speak to a customer, whether it's an existing customer, whether it's a prospect, whether it's somebody who's just willing to lend us their time, or we go through an experience of dealing with a customer service organization, we're always mapping out the experience for the end customer who they have, their customer, and our hopeful or existing customer, and just mapping out those friction processes. We're always learning more and more. We're always refining what the crux is. We're always refining how we communicate it. One of our values is to own the problem. And that means that we don't jump to solutions. We don't obsess over solutions. We're always focused on being problem first and mapping, mapping those out. What were some of the other challenges, I suppose, in broadly speaking, you know, in, in setting up in the first place? <laughs> yeah, the challenges are endless. Look, I think the European market or probably more broadly the global market, the hiring competitive landscape is extremely difficult. When you're starting a company, you want to hire 10x engineers, you want to hire 10x data scientists, you want to hire 10x designers, and the market for these people is is competitive. And so that's certainly an area where it can be hard to set up because you don't want to sacrifice your quality. That's going to trickle down into so many different things. And so the balance of maintaining high quality standards, but then also velocity and speed is something that is an ever persistent <laughs> challenge. I'm fascinated by your name as well, because, you know, it's, it's surfboard. So it's not so, it's something that necessarily applies to a function. So there's obviously advantages to that, I think. Yeah, it's memorable for sure. We have people that come to us and they're like, oh yeah, I just remember surfboard as the name. And because it's the most memorable one, you guys are the obvious choice, which is very validating to hear. I think for us, the metaphor is a little bit more important to us. And the metaphor is that when you're running a support team, you're dealing with waves of inflow. And we provide you with the tool to navigate those waves, which is the surfboard. And if you look at everything that we build within our marketing, within our product, it relates to how do we equip the customer support team to be able to navigate those waves in the most effective way. And so we have things like a fish that loads the schedule within the product. <laughs> On the website, you see these waves with the product proposition surrounding these waves. And so I think the name has actually worked out quite well for us in being able to build a, a brand around that. And I think like that's one of the things like branding early is, you know, if, if you can, it's, you know, it is the way to go. I have to say, we've taken so much inspiration from Intercom on this. It's something that their product marketing is so on the point. The way they've been able to facilitate this self-serve journey, this onboarding journey that is relatively frictionless, and the way that they position themselves in the broader market. When I think about when Intercom started and relative to other competitors that they're facing and creating this category definition around live chat, the importance of that, so much of it has been brand-led that we were really inspired by it. That's great to hear. <laughs> then in terms of the pandemic, like, you know, what part did that play? I feel like it was an important one for the company. 
Two things. For me personally, as an individual, the pandemic gave me the headspace to think about things and ultimately take the leap into starting a company. When you have something that shocks the world to that magnitude, you can afford to take a bit of a personal shock and and jump into, into the deep end. For the company, the pandemic also, it changed the way the world works. It changed the way that teams organize themselves. Within the support space, you started to see pretty much every team go remote. And then when the pandemic I don't know if you want to call it ended, but when lockdowns ended, you started to see that teams fundamentally structured themselves differently, either with a hybrid or with a remote first model. And with that, the orchestration layer or the planning or the scheduling developed so many more complexities. And so with Surfboard starting at the end of 2020 and the midst of the pandemic or towards the end of the pandemic, we really noticed that as these ways of working in the world had changed, Surfboard wanted to be, or we intend to be, and we are, the de facto tool for your managing a remote team. You need to know that your team is working on the right things at the right time. You need to know where your team is. And most importantly, that team camaraderie that existed before people went remote, we have the responsibility of replicating in this remote world. I suppose you mentioned a few, I I guess, but just broadly speaking, because I think people find it interesting in terms of kind of like, and you said there was loads in terms of the challenges, but kind of, I suppose, things, key lessons, you know, things that you've learned from the experience so far. Yeah, so there's the way that things are and there's the way that things ought to be. And when you go into a business and you see competitors out there, and for us, the biggest competitor is spreadsheets. It's where most of the market is, is doing these orchestration mm-hmm. tasks. You start seeing Notion, you start seeing Slack go in there. And we fundamentally want to build something that is 100x better, that removes that friction. The really important thing is to not jump to solutions really quickly. I think for us, one of the biggest challenges is that the category of software that people end up looking for when they're looking for fundamentally a scheduling tool is called workforce management. When you position yourself in workforce management, your roadmap is basically predetermined or there's an expectation that's set by the user where you haven't laid out that groundwork for yourself. The market has laid it out or your competitors have laid it out or these expectations have laid from the customer dictate your roadmap. And that's something that we're constantly fighting really, really hard against because we want to fundamentally change the way that teams work. And for us to do that, this predetermined roadmap, when you describe workforce management software, it doesn't work for us. It's not going to create the holistic and important change that we want to make within support teams and we want to make in order to humanize work more. And so that's something that like we're constantly battling is that in in one capacity, it feels like pushing water uphill if you're saying, oh, we're not part of this category that you're already looking for. We're inventing a new category. On the other hand, you want to fight the temptation to start having to build what people expect when you say you're part of an existing category. In terms of what you were talking about, you know, at SaaS Talk today, it was about scaling customer support, success teams. Why are customer support teams so vital? Look, when your customer experiences friction, which in the end, they're always going to experience in some form of another, your support team needs to be there to make sure that you're catching them when they fall and you're catching them quickly, you're catching them with high degree of quality, and that you have the internal processes to make sure that your support team acts as 
the voice of the customer, able to pass on that feedback to the product team, to the sales team, to the success team, to the engineering team, et cetera. And so the topic that I spoke about at SaaStock was scaling a support team by 10x. And by that, I don't necessarily just mean 10x in terms of headcount. I mean 10x in terms of efficiency. And where that comes in is making sure you have the right tooling in place, you know, whether it's tools like Intercom or Surfboard, making sure that you're hiring the right people, making sure that you're training the right people, making sure that you are tracking the right metrics. All of these are internal orchestration pieces that go much beyond, you know, the basic questions of what channels do I want to offer? How do I do the bare minimum? Do I just deflect the responsibility entirely to outsourcing agencies? There's so much opportunity for support to make a huge difference within an organization. And the crux of what I spoke about was making sure that your support team is a profit center, not a cost center. And that's something that we at Surfboard are really passionate about providing teams with the tooling to facilitate. What advice would you give, you know, in terms of getting support right in a product-led growth? Great question. I actually made a joke in my keynote earlier that if I played a drinking game to have a shot every time product-led growth came up at this conference. In my first three minutes, I would have been hospitalized. So um, look, I think support is critical for a product-led growth organization. Most importantly, with product-led growth, you want to and you have to eliminate friction. And support comes in when there's this inevitable point of friction, whether it's a how-to question, whether it's a fundamental, the customer got stuck question. If you want a product-led growth motion, what that means is that you want minimal effort from your sales team and you want minimal effort from your success team. And in order to bridge that minimal effort, that's where support comes in to eliminate the friction. I think there's a notion that I really like, which is that there's the way the world is and there's the way we want the world to be. And in that bridge where we're not at the, you know, the Brian Chesky 11-star experience, you've got to think about the present state. And the present state is that you have to be there for your customers. And especially if you want to eliminate the amount of time that your sales team spends with them or your success team spends with them, you really have to invest in support. And just before we wrap up, I, I wanted to ask, you know, about optimizing support versus success to avoid being reactive, you know, is something that you, you discussed earlier as well. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think within support, there's two parts. Number one, how your support team is interacting and trained and the autonomy they have within the organization. And then number two is making sure that your support team acts as the voice of the customer internally. Relating to the first point, it's really important that the metrics that you measure and the incentives you give your support team are focused on customer outcomes. And so what that means is you're not overly obsessed with tickets per hour. You're not overly obsessed with average handle time. You're giving them the space and you're giving them the autonomy to get to a resolution for your end customer. My favorite metric that support teams measure and I hope is becoming more popular is the customer effort score. And what that refers to is how much effort does the end customer have to go through to get to a resolution. And too many support teams, even when they look at automations, when they look at tooling, are looking at the agent effort score, the internal amount of effort involved with getting to resolution. But what you really have to be focusing on is the end customer. How painful is this for them? If they have to get rooted to five different agents and they have to re-explain their problem five different times and answer the same question, that's a lot of friction for them. And that's where you have to focus your efforts. Second point is around making sure that your support team acts as the voice of the customer and having those internal processes. And so even if you decide to go for having an entirely or a partially outsourced team within your support or your success organizations, you need to make sure you have that internal feedback loop where the support team is well-connected to product, where the support team is well-connected to success. They're well-connected to your sales team because when it comes to things like, you know, identifying your ideal customer profile, who the product works best for, how people are engaging with your product, where they're encountering problems, your support team is going to be the most fluent in all of that. And it's a huge opportunity around making sure that support team is a profit center in having that feedback work between the support team 
and the rest of the organization. So just what's next? I mean, have you, <laughs> in terms of, I suppose we're nearly near the end of the year, but like plans for kind of the next couple of quarters? Yeah, like we're still early on in our journey to make work more human at Surfboard. And so there's a lot we need to do. Number one is nail scheduling. And with scheduling is providing an effortless time management tool for support teams, for support teams that are scaling, making sure that it's not just companies that are, you know, they're hitting like 40 or 50 people and they're like, oh, I'm at breaking point. Making sure that something like orchestration becomes the bedrock of how a support team sets up. It's part of that starter kit to make sure they don't get to this inflection point where everything's broken and it feels like a war zone within the support team. Number two around humanizing work is eliminating the need for intrusive surveillance. And that's been something that has become unfortunately more popular in this movement towards remote working where you can't see who your team is. You can't look beside and see who's on the phone or who's on chat or who's following up on refunds. And so what that has increased the temptation to do is get too much into the world of intrusive surveillance. And that's where technology can often be used for bad. And that's not what we want to facilitate. We want to make sure that Surfboard is building the tools to eliminate that in humanizing work. And then finally is the point around team camaraderie. And all of this, whether it's the intrusive surveillance point, whether it's the scheduling point, we really believe that if you have a collaborative team, you don't have to resort to these desperate measures. And all of that, we think technology does really well. We expect Surfboard to be the de facto leader in that and in facilitating this cultural change that needs to happen, especially as teams move remote. That's great. Lastly, where can people go to follow you online on social? Yeah, so we're at teamsurfboard.com. There's also Surfboard on LinkedIn and Twitter. I post a lot on LinkedIn myself, so you can find me at Natasha Ritanchi Stein with a hyphen between Ritanchi and Stein. We talk a lot about scaling support teams. We talk a lot about efficiency tools. We've got an ebook on our website, so I encourage people to check it out. Brilliant. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Natasha Rutanchi-Stein. And if you did, let me know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, if that is your podcaster of choice. Or if not, just say hi on Twitter at Intercom. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, that's it. I'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom. See you then. This is Inside Intercom. Inside Intercom.